0: looked at this first paragraph dealing with baptism. And, of course, we've seen some things in general in the previous chapter on the sacraments. Uh, this first paragraph is specifically focused on what it is that baptism is particularly revealing and um, testifying to and sealing to our hearts as we um, look to Christ by faith and receive the spiritual reality uh, which it pictures. What does it picture? What is pictured as the water is poured upon the person who is baptized? Um, we've seen that it is ordained by Jesus Christ and the Great Commission. It is um, what replaces circumcision as that mark of God's covenant people, um, whereby we are made distinct and part of uh, recognized as part of God's people, distinct from the world, uh, We're baptized into the visible church. Uh, not only that, though, but also to be unto him a sign and seal of the covenant of grace. You remember that this, this sacrament, if anything, is calling us to recognize our need for the saving work of God in our lives, uh, a need for Jesus Christ as our Savior, a need for his cleansing, a need for the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And all of this calls us to look to God and His grace to give us those things, to work the reality of that um, in the covenant of grace. If it weren't for God's promises and His hand at work in our midst, we would have no hope. But this is a powerful reminder at God's own appointment that uh, He is doing these things, and He has sent His Son to accomplish these things. And we are to be looking then by faith to Christ for the reality of our baptism to be worked in our lives. And so it's a sign and seal of the covenant of grace, of his engrafting into Christ, particularly, as we saw last week um, in Galatians 3 and Romans 6, uh, these passages speaking to us of uh, how baptism is um, only accomplished, the reality of it, in Jesus Christ. And so it is looking to Him alone by faith that we have any hope of entering into the cleansing and saving work of God in our lives. And so we are joined to Him. Uh, we're baptized into that name. We are joined to Jesus Christ, made His child, joined to Him um, by faith. And so there in the middle of the paragraph, we'll, we'll begin this morning, of regeneration, regeneration. That it's particularly this work of cleansing, that um, that God is picturing in uh, in our baptism. This reference to washing, as we look in Titus chapter three, and in um, well, just beginning in verse one, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so this this picture in verse 5, the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, this is uh, showing us the connection between the pouring out of the water in baptism and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit by the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember John had said, I can baptize you with water, but after me is coming one whose sandal I'm unworthy to untie, or tie, and he will baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. This pouring out of the Holy Spirit, what does it accomplish? We could look through the Old Testament and those promises... Of the pouring out of god 's spirit, and you'll remember the the vivid imagery of the dead land, the desert land, that the water comes to in the prophets, uh, that picture of God himself coming by his presence and giving life to what is dead, and so that is particularly uh, being pictured in this matter, this reference to the washing of regeneration. What is regeneration? It's the new life. It's the new birth. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit accomplishes what? Well, what was a dead stony heart is made alive and new, just like the deserts bloom when the water reaches them. Uh, That's what our lives are in response to the Holy Spirit being poured out upon us, that new life, the being born again, the regeneration, and that is described here with this term, the washing of regeneration. It is, again, a reference to this, uh, what baptism is picturing. What do we need? What is it to become a child of God? What is it to uh, have new hope in God's saving mercy? Well, we are committing ourselves and taking the name of Jesus upon ourselves in a recognition of our deadness and emptiness and hopelessness apart from Christ, uh, that we are embracing Him as our Savior, we're acknowledging our deadness apart from Him, and we are looking to the work of the Holy Spirit and acknowledging and thanking God for the work of the Holy Spirit within us that has brought a heart to life that was dead toward God. This washing of regeneration then. Uh, baptism pictures our regeneration. And all of these things fall under that. those broad descriptions that it is being a sign and a seal of these things to us. It's not only picturing it, but it is confirming in our hearts. It is our own agreement to those truths and claiming those promises uh, for ourselves by faith in Christ. That is what it is to look back upon our baptism. Uh, what should we see? We should see our need of all of these things and Christ's provision of all of these things and rejoice to have them in him. And so our regeneration, uh, we have that reference to the washing of regeneration. The next phrase then of remission of sins. Not only does washing or the pouring of water uh, convey this, this act of giving life where there was deadness, but also of cleansing. And if you look at Mark chapter 1, verse 4, this was John's commission as he was sent baptizing. He was sent to preach, to call people to repentance, and to baptize. And what was the focus of that baptism? What was it um, picturing? And what was it reinforcing? And what was the purpose of it? Well, it was in the context of a preaching of repentance. Notice there in verse 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so in that context, again, not only as that dry and dead desert land that needs the water of life, but as one who is filthy in sin, needing the cleansing of God, needing to to cast sin off and be cleansed of sin and repent of sin. And so here is is the evidence of God's grace. What does sin deserve? It deserves the judgment and wrath of God. And yet here sinners who deserve the judgment and wrath of God have instead a messenger first sent to them in John the Baptist who is sent by God with an offer of grace and forgiveness and cleansing. And he's calling people to recognize their sinfulness and to repent of it and turn to God for his forgiveness. And so this baptism that we see instituted by Christ as a sacrament of the church also powerfully pictures this. We've already seen in Peter, uh, baptism now saves you not the washing of dirt from the flesh, but the cleansing of our hearts by the grace of God, in Acts chapter two, um, the American edition adds a reference here. At the conclusion of Peter's sermon there on the day of Pentecost, um, he he concludes in verse thirty six, "Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified." Now. It was just a few weeks before that Jesus was crucified right outside the city. And he had been raised from the dead. He had appeared to his disciples for about 40 days. And now here at Pentecost, uh, 50 days after the Passover, here Peter is preaching to these these people. Many of them were there in the crowd. Many of them, perhaps even voicing that chant, um, we have no king but Caesar, crucify him, crucify him. And Peter condemns their sin. He, he points them to the, the very evident truth that Jesus was the Son of God. He preaches the resurrection. Uh, says that God has raised him from the dead in the final testament that he was his son and is his son, and even now he is alive and reigning, in verse 33, at the right hand of God. And he's received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And in verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now what is it that they're convicted over? The, the grievous sin that they've committed they have participated in whether more passively by just standing by or even more actively joining in that process whatever their personal role was they are cut to the heart because they have rejected God's son and given him up to be crucified right there at their city and brothers what shall we do and look at verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, as we've seen, it, it's not just the, the naked washing of water, as Peter says. That we, we could pour water on a person all day long for the rest of their life, and every bit of their sin still cling to them but it is this key aspect of experiencing the spiritual reality that that baptism is a picture of. It is repenting of your sin and looking to Jesus for the washing away of the guilt of your sin, being baptized at His command, and in that baptism, looking by faith to the work of the Holy Spirit that we have seen again and again. The cleansing that God alone can accomplish, the forgiveness of your sins. But there is a there is a forgiveness. There's a cleansing. Uh, your, your sins don't have to carry you to hell under the weight of guilt, but you may be washed from them. You may be forgiven of your sins. Look to God in faith. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this Jesus who was crucified, who's alive, who has been declared Lord and Christ by God himself, he is sending this, this man, Peter, the fisherman, the apostle now. He's sending him back to these same people with an offer of forgiveness. that He will accept that, and the very death that they participated in can become the payment for their sin and wash them clean. And uh, that reality, that baptism is a picture of. The washing away of sin can be theirs, the forgiveness of their sins. We also see similar reference in Acts 22. In Acts 22. And here uh, is Ananias, who was... uh, This is being recounted now in Paul's testimony... Uh, Ananias, he, he recalls in verse 12, and one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone. Of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait, rise, and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name? So again, it it's it, it could never be just the, going through the outward elements of this sacrament. It is always tied to the faith that looks to Christ for the reality that it pictures. That is what affects the washing away of sins. But notice how this matter of baptism is tied to as a picture of that very thing washing away your sins Um, you need to call on his name look to Jesus and he will give you that spiritual cleansing he will wash away your sins and think of think of Saul now here he has in misguided zeal persecuted the very people of God he stood by and, and assented to the death of Stephen as he's being stoned to death brutally, he's like, "Here, I'll, I'll keep your clothes while you do this, so that you you can uh, then get dressed, and you won't have to worry about getting the blood on your cloaks." That man, who had under the authority of the priests gone not just throughout Jerusalem and the surrounding area, but as far as Damascus, in such zeal to hunt down and seek to stamp out these people who are leading uh, the people away from what he understood to be uh, the, the right path for Israel to be on. How misguided. But he had the blood of people on his hands. And he had committed many, many sins. He, he refers to himself as the chief of sinners. And yet he has hope for the washing away of his sins. Through, again, that same blood of Jesus. Call on his name. Put your faith and hope in him. Um, hear his call to yourse- uh, of, of yourself to him and be baptized as he is instructed in his name. Take his name upon yourself. He will own you as one of his and he will wash away your sins. Oh, what a sweet blessing. And so this matter of baptism, um, we, we, we see all of this tied together that our ability to be counted as a child of God, to receive the blessing of God's smile upon us as our Heavenly Father, Um, it is tied to by necessity that we can't be dead toward God. We must be brought to life again and experience the new birth and look then with new eyes to Christ by faith. And we can't come dripping with filth into His home but we must be washed and and cleansed and forgiven of all the guilt of our sin or the very holiness of God as we come into his presence would uh, just burn us away uh, along with our sins. And so all of this must stand together. And we see such pale concepts of what it is to be a child of God. Uh, There's even in recent years been something termed the sonship movement. And if you've never heard of it, I don't necessarily encourage you to go and research it, but if you have, then you know that in the very name of of looking at the blessing of adoption as a child of God, there have been in recent years teachers who have been minimizing uh, the need for sanctification and repentance. Well, well, you're a child of God. That's what you need to rejoice in. That's what you need to... Uh, trust in and be thankful, just live in the in the freedom of what it is to be a child of God. And they wouldn't, um, at least not to my knowledge, outright encourage you to go and sin. Although I have actually heard um, one pastor in a sermon um, saying, you can go and commit adultery. You can go and do just naming off just horrible sins. Uh, that can't change the love of God for you. You're his child. And so... Baptism as as the very mark of entry, how it is that we first declare Jesus Christ and declare our faith in him, It, it involves us confessing all of this to be true of ourselves, our deadness, our filthiness, our need of redemption, and to be praying for and asking for and looking for deliverance in all of that from Jesus Christ as we come to him by faith. There there's no there's no place in scripture for this uh overly confident casual view of sin that says, well, you know, what parent doesn't love their child even though they're imperfect and and just encouraging a lax view of sin. That's not at all what we see in the scriptures. It's this this prayer, this cry to God, Lord, cleanse me, wash me of my sins. Uh, Give new life where there's been deadness toward you. Uh, Receive me in your Son, Jesus Christ. And so that leads us then to the next phrase in our confession. All of that and of his giving up unto God through Jesus Christ to walk in newness of life. And so if, if we're confessing the deadness of our heart and life, and we're confessing the filthiness and sinfulness of our former life, then it is marking a new chapter, a new beginning. That's what the new birth is referencing. It's not a continuation of what was in the past. It's not just being granted an eternal experience of what's behind us. But it is marking a new creation in Christ. The the end of something the beginning of something new. And it is, it's not just something that we will unknowingly and passively find ourselves receiving and experiencing, but it is something that we are knowingly and actively committing ourselves to. What does it mean to give yourself to Christ and to receive these blessings of salvation? Well, it's to become His disciple, to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is to become his student and his follower and his servant and his child, all of that. And in Romans chapter 6, we see that being brought forward in in a very similar context to what we just discussed of Paul addressing this matter of uh, just a, a, a giddy, almost drunken joy in what was described as just this free grace that God is just Look what he can do to our sins and their guilt. And then thinking that somehow, well, it just magnifies the grace of God. The, the more sin we're brought through into glory, the more God's grace is magnified. Of course, this was sin in, our, in their hearts, um, seeking a, an excuse and a license to continue. But what, what is Paul's answer to this? in um in verse one of chapter six what shall we say then are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means how can we who died to sin still live in it now again what is he looking back on what is he pointing them to how can we who died to sin well when did that happen Notice in verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? What did your baptism mean? You you took the name of Christ upon yourself, and you declared what when you were baptized? Well, Paul says you can't understand your baptism any other way than that. You have died to sin. That, That confession, Lord, I'm dead, and I'm filthy, and I need your life-giving spirit, I need your cleansing and forgiveness, you can't then carry on as though you didn't need those things. Well, what was the problem? If you can continue in deadness toward God and continue in the filth of sin, then why did you even see any need, or what was the point of coming and experiencing baptism? What was that picturing, that pouring out of the life-giving spirit, that cleansing work of God. If you're going to continue in filth, then uh, what you've put a lie upon your own baptism. And so, being baptized into Jesus Christ, it involved being baptized into his death. That was the whole point. That's how we uh, obtain hope in God's mercy is looking to Christ and recognizing that you you have an interest in his death upon the cross. Lord Jesus You've taken me to yourself, and I'm putting my faith in you, and you've offered the payment for my sin in your death upon the cross, and that's my hope of forgiveness. That's my hope of salvation. And so we have to be considered joined to Christ in that way and present even at his crucifixion. It's our sin being paid for. Well, if that's not true, then again, You're just putting a lie on your confession of faith. You're putting a lie on your baptism. You're as much as saying this was all just an outward show and there's no spiritual, no inward reality corresponding to it. That's what's at stake in saying this casual attitude towards sin. And in verse 4, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life again all of that that we've just looked at that picture of the the spirit giving his life-giving presence being poured out into a dead life well what are we to do then if again if it's a new beginning we're a new creature in jesus christ a new creation we are now giving ourselves to walk in a new way with jesus christ as his disciple in a new obedience to God, in a new joy in the Father, and experiencing and bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives where before we, we bore the fruit of disobedience and death in the flesh. And so it, it, of necessity, involves this giving of ourselves. It's a declaration to the world, to God, to one another, of God's people. We're committing our lives... To Jesus Christ, we're, we're a new creation in Him, and we're going to walk as His disciple. Back to the confession then. Which sacrament is by Christ's own appointment to be continued in His church until the end of the world? And so again, we've already seen that it was ordained by Jesus Christ in the Great Commission. And this isn't just something for um, a brief time. It's not something that pictures a passing truth. But this is the eternal truth of the gospel for this world. This is what every sinner needs and must declare and experience until the end of time when Jesus will return to have salvation. And that's what we see, again, taking us back to the Great Commission. What is anticipated in this commission How long were his disciples and their successors in the church, how long were they to give themselves to carry this out? Well, you could answer that question in two ways from these verses. First of all, is the job complete? Have the nations of the world been made the disciples of Jesus Christ? They belong to him. He has all authority in heaven and on earth given to him. And he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, can anyone look at this world and think, well, that's done. We're done with that. Well, of course not. There's such a need for the gospel, such a need for the light of God's kingdom in this world, and there will be until Jesus comes in glory and ends history. And so that's that's one Evidence that this is to be continued to the end of time. But we also have, with the commission, a promise. We have the promise of Jesus Christ. And what does that teach us in terms of the durability of this command? In verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, the, the duration of the promise is that God will, in Jesus Christ, be with His church and bless with that authority that has been given to Him, that divine power and authority which is His by right as the Son. He is going to be with us. He is going to send His Spirit continually to bless these efforts that there might be life given and to honor what is pictured in baptism. Again, A man can baptize you with water, but only Jesus Christ can pour the Holy Spirit upon you. Only he can cleanse you and make you alive and all that it pictures. And Jesus is here giving his promise not to leave us without his help so that there will never be a day when we're going and we're seeking to make disciples and we're seeking to baptize them, but it's all just an empty outward show because jesus isn't present and working with us and in us and through us by his spirit that's the promise i am with you always to the end of the age and again if there was any doubt as to when this should be carried out it is going to be for the rest of time as jesus has promised to bless us in our obedience with his presence to the end of the age And so this sacrament is by Christ's own appointment to be continued in his church until the end of the world. So very clearly there in the Great Commission. Now, the second paragraph in our chapter on baptism seeks to answer, uh, just for clarification and and to show us very clearly in Scripture, what is the element that is to be used. The outward element to be used in this sacrament is water. Water wherewith the party is to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost by a minister of the gospel, lawfully called thereunto. Let's look at these passages of Scripture. First, in Matthew 3, verse 11. Again, here is John in this first expression of baptism in the New Testament, which we see adopted and made this sacrament by the Lord Jesus through his disciples. John's message to the Pharisees and Sadducees in verse 7, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, "...you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance." And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so we see two, we see two things in this passage that um, are referenced in our paragraph. The first, of course, is that John baptized with water. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. Second thing that this begins to demonstrate, and we'll see repeated through the, uh, the scriptures, is this pattern of who is baptizing in the New Testament. And here we see John called and sent as a prophet of God, a man commissioned to deliver God's word, being the one... To administer this baptism. Uh, it requires the Word of God to authorize it, to institute it, to explain it, as we've already seen, that we, we might have looked at just the image or the act of someone pouring water out upon another person and drawn all manner of personal conclusions. Well, what does that mean to you? Well, what do you think when you see that? And legitimately, we would come up with I promise you, just a host of things, especially coming to it without any training from God's Word. But that's the, that is the heart of this, that the baptism doesn't explain itself. It is explained by the Word of God. It is a picture of the promises of God and an, a sign and seal of the declaration of God, of what He has promised to do in and through Jesus Christ. But there has to be what? There has to be faith in Jesus. Well, where do we learn of Jesus Christ? Through the Word of God. And so this begins to show us a pattern, and we can, we can begin to see the reason for that, as we note that John, one who was sent with the Word of God, is also the one who was offering this baptism. A baptism with water for repentance. Let's also look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 33. And here we see again uh, the Lord Jesus and John the Baptist as they are near the beginning of this ministry. In verse 29 of John 1, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now remember, what was the whole emphasis of John's ministry? He was preaching a baptism of repentance. His, the emphasis of his ministry was on exposing sin and calling to repentance and, and declaring with urgency, the kingdom is coming. You, you need to clear the way. You need to fill in what is lacking and and take down... What has been built up? You need to prepare the way. You need to get your your life in order because God is coming. And so here, the, the resolution, how is it that there could be any hope or, or offer of salvation in such a message that calls out sin and calls for repentance? Well, what hope of forgiveness is there? And it's here in Jesus Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away... The sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Of course, the significance of that is John, in his humanity, uh, he is the older cousin of Jesus by about six months from the record of the Gospels. But he recognizes Jesus is much more than just the Son of Man that you can see. Jesus is the Son of God of eternity. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he. Who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And so again, there wasn't anything about Jesus' appearance that just gave it away. Even his own cousin, even John, would say, I I wouldn't know this, but God revealed it to me. And notice there in verse 33 He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So, we see Scripture giving us the instruction as to what does baptism involve? Well, it is the application of water. Uh, You're to use water in baptizing. In Matthew 28, again, the Great Commission, and here we see uh, another example in the instruction given about baptism that shows us the connection between baptism and the Word of God. That it never was some stand-alone ordinance that would uh, operate as God intended. But God always sent those that He was sending with His Word and called them to baptize. That connection is maintained throughout the New Testament. We see that not only in the instructions, but also in each example that we find. In verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so if the question is is put to you, well, how do you know if you are or aren't called to... Baptize people. Well, that is answered biblically by asking this question. Well, has God called you to declare His word? Has He sent you as a messenger with His word? Those are the um, those and those only are those uh, who are to administer baptism according to the biblical instruction and pattern. And so, let's look the American editors. Uh, Point us to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And we see both of these things. We see uh, water being named as the sole element. um, Consistent through the scripture. That's the element that baptism is to be performed with. And, again, who is baptizing? That's those that God has sent with the word. In verse 44 of Acts 10. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? In other words, can there be any question that they should receive the, the sacrament of baptism, when they are evidently experiencing the reality that Jesus has poured out His Holy Spirit upon them, and He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, then they asked Him to remain for some days. So again, it, it accompanies the preaching ministry of the Word of God. There is the response of conviction and faith as God's Spirit stirs in and through his word, and then those who respond with faith are baptized. That's the scriptural pattern. We also have Acts 8, 36 and 38. And here we have um, Philip, um, who is an evangelist. He is um, called by the Spirit and sent by the Spirit. There's no question of this to um, open God's word and share the gospel. And in verse 29, the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter And like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down in the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And so again, the, the very clear pattern that God gives us is that the preaching of the gospel, uh, declaring the good news of Jesus Christ, explaining uh, so that this man would then be able to ask, well, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? He understands the work of Jesus uh, as the Savior of the world, and he understands uh, that baptism is that mark placed upon the disciples of Jesus Christ as Philip has been opening the Scriptures and telling him the good news about Jesus. And so, uh, again, very clearly the Holy Spirit is directing and sending, and we we don't see those uh, manifestations of the Spirit in our midst in the sense that he is whisking us to and from or... Speaking to us in an audible voice, but he has uh, completed his word and he is still in our midst and he is still working through that word as he sends one and calls them to preach the gospel, by God's grace there will be a response of faith. There will be um, a desire and a need for baptism to be administered uh, where the person who has confessed their faith is marked a disciple of Jesus Christ, and they are pointed then to the work of God that they must seek in their life and experience through Jesus Christ. So that concludes our second paragraph, and I think also our time for this morning. So let's uh, let's close with a word of prayer, and we'll look at more, God willing, next week. Oh Lord, we give thanks to you for your amazing grace to us. We thank you for sending your Son that there would be a gospel, a good news to declare. We thank you for commissioning your church and for calling and sending men to preach and proclaim this news even unto our day. There are those being called and sent. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us as you have promised in the Great Commission. We thank you that you are still accomplishing the reality of what baptism pictures to us and for us we pray that you would stir us up lord to reflect upon our own baptism and to give ourselves anew and freely to that work and to that life that newness of life in christ that it pictures that we would be stirred and and shake off lethargy that we would not be content to slumber in sin but we would um, confess again our confession in baptism that uh, we look to Christ for total deliverance from the deadness of our old life and the new life that he alone can give. And we look to him also for the perfect washing and cleansing of our filthy sins from our heart for otherwise, Lord, we will be uh, stained and spoiled in all that we do. And we we do call upon you, Lord Jesus, as our Savior to take us unto yourself and to fill us with your Spirit and to make us your disciples truly, that we would walk in all that you have taught us as we are called to heed that teaching and instruction in all that you have commanded. Lord, we we do give ourselves to you. We thank you for the privilege we have to receive your grace. It is not of us, but of you. We ask that you would uh, bless the ministry of your gospel and stir up and send, Lord, uh, yet more who will share that good news. And many would respond, as uh, this Ethiopian eunuch did, to the preaching of Philip. We pray that there would be a great response to the gospel by the powerful work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, you alone can change the sinner's heart. And we pray for you to do this. Uh, Even in our own midst, Lord, we pray that uh, the sinfulness of our hearts would be subdued and and cleansed, washed away uh, continually before you. Uh, For, Lord, we, we have that need until you complete your work in us in glory and bring us into your presence. We ask thou that you would bless as we prepare our hearts to worship you and you would bless the gathering of your people, Lord. We pray that many would come and that all would be hungry for you and for your word. pray this in Christ's name. Amen.